Welcome to another call-in episode. We've got a post-game for the ages ahead of you as the Indianapolis Colts have found a way to lose once again to the Tennessee Titans. It's their fifth loss in a row to the Titans. And we're going to talk about why. We're going to go over the statistics. We are going to hear from you as quickly as you want to be a part of this. Uh, the Colts dropped to 3-3-1. Three, three and one. As a result of this loss, the Titans go to four and two. There is no real tiebreaker to worry about. So the Titans swept the series. They're two O's. So they have the most important tiebreaker, but that only comes into play if the Colts and the Titans wind up tied in the standings, which is unlikely because the Titans are unlikely to lose. We're going a little bit early, about two minutes early, because I just can't wait. I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, Hey, I got stuff to talk about. I want to hear from you. So let's get going. Uh, Ryan Tannehill and Mike Vrabel are just tougher and they are better at executing what they want to execute than are Matt Ryan and Frank Reich. And it's just that simple. You can't lose five in a row and claim superiority really at the quarterback position or at the coaching position. And all five of these games have been quarterbacked by Tannehill, coached by Vrabel. Now for the Colts, you go back to Philip Rivers with one in 2020, Carson Wentz with two in 2021, Matt Ryan with two now in 2022. But uh, Frank Reich has been the coach throughout this uh, five-game losing streak for the Colts, and it's really, really hard to win the division when you get swept by the team you're playing against. So the Colts right now have won one game in the AFC South, they've lost three and they've tied one. So one, three and one with one to play against the Houston Texans. That is not going to get it done. Uh, Derrick Henry, one of the thresholds for beating the Titans is holding Derrick Henry under a hundred yards. And late in the game, the Colts had a chance to do it. They were unable to do it. He ran 30 times for 128 yards. One of the thresholds for the Colts to be able to win is getting to that hundred yard threshold as a running unit, we weren't going to say, you know, Taylor needed to or or Hines needed to. You needed to as a group. They ran 17 times for 65 yards. This is what the Titans do to you. The Titans get up early. They put you in a position where you need to throw. When you throw, they put pressure on the quarterback. The quarterback responds to the pressure by throwing it to the Titans. This happened in the second quarter of the game. There was a pick six, and then right away, there was another pick on the ensuing drive. The key to me, and and this is not to alibi for the Colts, because the Colts were not the better team today. There's no way you could say that with a straight face. However, if the officials had called a patently obvious face mask, on the Titans, with Naheem Hines as the ball carrier, his head was almost jerked from his neck, and somehow the officials don't make the call. The next play was a pick six. So if there's a 15-yard personal foul on the play previous to the pick six, you can surmise that the pick six never would have happened because the play call would have been different. And if the pick six doesn't happen, the following interception doesn't happen either. Things tend to stack. It's like dominoes falling. In the NFL, when you have one bad thing happen, it leads to more bad things happening. And the officials, in their ignorance uh, of either the rule or what happened during that play, uh, them not making that call for whatever reason, 
that was really, really deleterious to the Colts' opportunities to win that game and put the put the Titans in a, uh, a position of superiority, which they. Uh, let's go to Isaiah. Isaiah, how you? Oops, I think I I may have. Uh, no, you're still there. Isaiah, how you doing? I'm great. How, what's going on, Kent? Well, this is not a good Sunday, and and as you well know, I'm headed to Sundays immediately after this show to enjoy a chocolate milkshake uh, to drown my sorrows. I thought we only did that, or well, you do that when they lose. That's right. That's right. Yeah, um, always with a loss. Well, yeah. Um, yeah, sorry if I touch on some things you talked about in your video. I actually didn't get a chance to uh, watch it yet, so sorry if I touch on that stuff. But uh, um, c- certainly, I mean, I'm right there in terms of um, disappointment. Um, I-, I think it's so strange when you watch this team because it's clear that there's a lot of good things going on, especially with the receivers. I think they've surprised us all this year. Um and uh, I really thought that we could get the run game going today. It was clear that we were able to get the run game going for the few times that we decided to hand the ball off for whatever reason. And I really think that that is sort of a microcosm of the issue with this team. And it's been every other week. It's when we win, we kind of forget about it. And then when we lose, we go back to this one name. And I'm sorry, but I just I think it's coaching. And I think that ultimately what it comes down to is when you look at a guy like Mike Vrabel, what he was able to do with this squad uh, last year with Tannehill and Derrick Henry out, taking them to the one seed, and then obviously beating the Colts five times in a row. I, 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 I just, I'm a part of the mindset that I don't think Frank can get it done, period. And I know that that's, that's tough to say because it's hard to find a good coach. I get that, but do we really want to go down this road for another five years if this is what it's going to be, not winning the AFC South, not beating the class of the division? I'm, just, I'm, I'm very disappointed and discouraged by Frank's play calling. You know, I'll tell you what, I had a good conversation with Zaire Franklin this week, and I asked him about the toughness of the Titans. And and it's on the YouTube channel if, if people want to check it out. He, he's a great guy, a really smart guy, great wisdom. And, and so I asked him about toughness with the Titans. And he said teams tend to reflect the personality of their coach. Mike Vrabel was a really tough player. He's a really tough coach. And so the Titans tend to reflect that. I didn't then probe deeper and ask him to throw Frank Reich under a bus because it likely would have ended our conversation, you know. Um, But Mike Vrabel is a tough guy. And and when you play against the Titans, you see that toughness. And when the Colts play against the Titans, you see the chasm, the difference in toughness between those two teams. And you see a guy... And, and maybe Danica Autry, this wasn't the right fit for him. And, and we know there were some off-field things that were a little bit screwy. He got a big fine moving out of his apartment um, here in Indianapolis. But for the Titans, he's kind of one guy. For the Colts, he was a different guy. And I, I think that that's a matter of Matt Eberflus and Frank Reich not holding Danico Autry necessarily accountable and forcing him to play with that toughness and Mike Vrabel demanding it. You know, sure. and, and so if you're going to have to go up against a guy who's going to get the best out of mediocre players, and Danico Autry isn't a pro bowler, so that's what I mean by mediocre. You yeah. know what? It's going to be hard to beat that team because their mediocre guys are going to outshine your good guys, and that's a tough place to beat. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, and, uh, and when you, go ahead. No, I was going to. Do you have another point? I was going to move on, but no, no, uh, you're you're good. You're good to go ahead and move on, Kent. Appreciate it. All right, brother. Thank you, Isaiah. Yep. I appreciate it. Uh, Fulton, how you doing this afternoon? 
There you go. Fulton, how are you? What do you think of Frank Wright? Um, I think he's um, – I was talking to my grandpa earlier today. Um, he said that Frank Wright needs to talk to uh, Matt Ryan to see if he can make uh, better exceptions uh, for the ball. Yep. Yeah, I would agree. Thank you, Fulton. I appreciate that. Let's oh, and Ken. Chris, how you doing this afternoon? Make sure to unmute yourself. Hey, Ken. I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm looking forward to the milkshake a little bit later, the losing Sunday Big milkshake. Fan. Oh, hell yeah. Well, uh, Frank Reich, uh, I think it's time for him to go. He's been running off of, what, 20-some years of NFL experience with the biggest comeback he was uh, the, the head, the offensive coordinator for that Super Bowl team. But what else has he really done in his career to prove that he's the guy to take us to the to the Super Bowl? I mean, we have Jonathan Taylor, best running back in the league, in my opinion. Ten rushes, five point eight yards. Ten. We give the Titans thirty touches with uh, with Derrick Henry. Yeah. How does that make sense? We got our best player. We don't use him. We got what? Is he 36, 37, Matt Ryan? And he threw 40 some passes today, 50 some last week. Tannehill, what was he, 22 today or something like that? Um, it, it's crazy. Why are we, why are we not utilizing the players that have been proven good? And instead we're trying to put Matt Ryan in a situation to play hero ball when we have a offensive line that Ballard hasn't properly addressed. We have issues all over that that offense, and we're not using Taylor. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and, Ken, I had a question. Uh, sure. With regards to Reich, I'm very much in the camp of it's time for him to go. He's had five years. I don't care if we've had multiple quarterbacks. You should have a system that is pretty solid by now. But as far as Ballard, I'm not so sure because, like, some of our some of our groups are really good. Um, some have turned out to be much better than we thought, like wide receiver, tight end. But then we have, you know, the offensive line that was just not addressed after Costanzo left. And then we had uh, one or two other starters, I think, that we didn't resign. Defensive tackle, I think you were just talking about Danico Autry. Um, what do you? What is your uh, thoughts on that? And thanks again. I love your show. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Rich. Uh, my thoughts are that as I look at this Colts team through seven games, this team has has been outplayed early in games every single week. Every week, they are digging out of a hole. This is a team, I think, today included, I think that they have been behind. Uh, and, and maybe it stretches back into 2021. This is a team that does not show up ready to play, and I hold the coach accountable for it, either in scheme or in somehow motivation, although... I tend to poo-poo the motivational aspect of a coach. It's up to the players when they get to the NFL. If you're a pro, you got to be ready to go on Sunday, and and you don't need rah rah, you know rah rah Ronnie in, in the uh, or rah rah Reich in the locker room to try to you know whip you into a frenzy so you take the field ready to compete with Ballard. Like Chris Ballard, I think does a good job overall of putting pieces together. And I was in the mm-hmm. locker room a lot this week, and, and that's a really good group of guys. And and good group of guys means a bunch of different things. They're not Boy Scouts, and Frank Reich's not a scout leader, or he shouldn't be. But these are guys who are ready to compete, and I like these guys and the way they fit together in that room. 
And so I'm not really down on Ballard. I, I would be much more prone to keep Ballard around. I would do the opposite of, of what Ursay did when he canned Grigson back after 2016 and waited till after 2017 to fire Chuck Pagano. Uh, I would be more prone to fire Reich than Ballard. And, and I, I think that that's, that's kind of, that's not a conversation to have, frankly, although I've had it myself, uh, you know, after seven games, I think you've got to, you got to take the totality of the season into, you know, into mind and and really dissect it and figure out where you can get better. And is there a coach out there that's going to be better suited for the talent that you've got than Frank Reich? I think that that's something that happens after January 8th. But um, you know what? Like through seven games, I'm not happy. He's won one playoff game, and that goes back to 2018 and hasn't won one in 19-20-21. This will be the fourth year in a row, assuming that the Colts don't win a playoff game that the Colts won't have won a playoff game. I, I think that part of the problem is the ownership, to be mm. honest. And I love Jim Ursay. I think he's a great dude. I love the way he's overcome adversity, uh, self-kind of propelled adversity over the last decade, but overcome adversity, good for him, and good for him doing the kick the stigma uh, thing that's wonderful. But what he tends to do also is he lives in hope and dies in desperation. That that contract extension for Frank Reich was straight out of the playbook of Scott Dolson down at IU who gave a crazy extension to Tom Allen. For what reason? I'm not sure, but Frank Reich was not doing extension. Shouldn't have gotten an extension. It was preposterous and premature for uh, Jim Irsay to gift Frank Reich that extension. It made no sense in terms of competition. I didn't understand it. What, what Jim Irsay tends to do is whip himself into a frenzy of belief that he then rewards. You know, if, if you're going to win, this I always go back to this, and I apologize for it, but talking about <laughs> Quentin Nelson and the extension that he got. Quentin Nelson has been a part of one team that has won a playoff game over the course, assuming, again, this team doesn't win a playoff game. This will be five years, and he, he's going to average .2 playoff wins per season and will have gone to the playoffs twice in five years. And you're going to pay this guy as a guard championship level money to do what? I don't understand digging deep into your pocket to reward people for team mediocrity, not necessarily Quentin and not necessarily Shaquille Leonard, but that team is mediocre and I don't understand paying people at the top of the pay scale for their position, given the way that they play. I what think I think, agree. Rich? I think that $20 million that he got is mainly for those run-the-damn-ball hats that we ignore nowadays. Um, to be honest, <laughs> uh, I love Quentin. I'll never forget day one uh, I saw him play uh, versus the Giants a couple years ago during his rookie year. Dude was massive. He actually came up and said hi real quick. I love the guy. But that's that's not the way to build a football team, man, especially when we don't have a left tackle. Like Raymond as our, our final solution here, I mean, I, I have a lot of hope. I hope he works out. But that is not what we should have gone into this year with as our best option. And prior, I'm sorry, the guy has not done anything good football-wise since last year. Um, we got a lot of issues to, to uh, address there. And I do agree with you. I think Ballard is probably – someone we keep around, uh, but 
I've just not seen anything from Frank Reich that proves to me that he can lead this team. And then going from last year uh, with hard knocks, I, that was you know the most insight us typical fans are going to get to what goes on every day. I felt yeah. a palpable change in that culture in those last two weeks. And I don't think that's going to be something that Frank can fix anymore. And they tried to get rid of Wentz and say, okay, we're, we're back. I don't think it was it. I think it was Reich. Uh, I don't think Wentz is better than Ryan necessarily. Uh, but I, I, I don't really, uh, think that addressed anything. Um, think, think it's time to say bye-bye to Mr. Frank Reich. Thank you very much, Rich. Appreciate it. Let's go to Toby. One thing to remember too, about hard knocks Chris Ballard did not want any part of that hard knocks, which means that Jim Irsay really wanted that hard knocks. And I, I would be curious to ask Jim Irsay why he wanted hard knocks in here, although it tended when the cameras were there, the guys tended to ball out a little bit and, and really create some, some positive momentum. Uh, let's go to Toby. How are you doing this afternoon, Toby? All right. Dejected a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, like I said, you, as I said, I live in Kentucky, so I can't watch the games because they're out of market. I was actually shocked it wasn't they showed the Bengals or the Browns versus Ravens. Anyway, I, I, the, I guess the biggest frustration for me is I keep on seeing everybody calling for fire, 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 cut the team, you know, and just start all over again or whatever. It's like tank the season. And I'm like, I, I can get – I'm starting to see I can get firing Frank. You know, whether Ursay goes against his – philosophy or his whatever and does it who would you replace him with Gus Bradley is the DC or the you know I mean and then I mean there's so much more going on to to what all these everybody's saying than it is to just fire somebody cut people and all this you got you know all the dead money space and all that and then last point is somebody mentioned I don't know if you can, can you see the room chat at all no okay but yeah, I just I shouldn't be able to. I I can. I just let's see. I'm sure I can. I'm sorry that I didn't. I should put it on the laptop, and I will. So <laughs> there we go. Let's see. All right, now it's now it's up. Oh, I've got to log in to join the conversation. <laughs> Why have I got to log in? Who who runs this thing? Anyway. So yeah, I just, um, I just anyway. I think just, maybe, yeah, let me know. I just yeah, I just think that you know. Maybe keep it in house, Gus Bradley or whatever, to and like Frank. I, I personally feel that Ballard has been in my mind probably one of the better GMs since. In and maybe not the best players entirely, but been the best GM in terms of handling contracts, extensions, money, and all that kind of stuff. Than the past since say you know Polian left. I don't. I you know great. Uh, I just think he was. I think he does. It's. You know, because all the, they they probably take their guidance from Mr. Ursay saying, "Hey, extend or sign this guy." So Nelson, I would be yeah. one of the best. Some of these signings we don't agree with probably came from the owner, and we don't know that. And that's a great point. We don't know exactly what the inner workings are. We know that Ballard suffers the slings and arrows, and we only really found out how that ownership GM relationship worked between Ursay and Polian after Polian was dispatched and, and then Bill wrote a book and, and came around and did kind of a radio tour in town. And, and so we sat for about a half an hour and he said the only time that Ursay ever got involved in personnel decisions 
was in drafting Dallas Clark. And during the draft, he poked his head in, said, okay, who are we looking at here? And Pullian said, uh, we're looking at Dallas Clark or this guy. And Ursay said, I'd take Clark. And so they did. I, I said, what'd you do? He said, well, we took Clark. You know, <laughs> I, I don't know what, how that works. I do know this, and I've been told by somebody uh, on the inside of that building that Jim Ursay isn't in his office a hell of a lot on West 56th Street. But that doesn't mean that he's not texting, that he's not communicating often with Chris Ballard in one form or another. You don't have to be in your office. If we learn nothing else during the COVID stuff, you know, we learned that we don't have to be in our offices to get in each other's way. Um, so, you know, maybe maybe that is Ursay saying, look, this guy moves a lot of jerseys, so we got to keep Quentin. I like Quentin. Yeah. You know, yeah. maybe that is the case. But I just it, – it seems to me – to be a franchise that's motivated by something other than winning championships, despite the fact that they say that that's all they are there for. I just don't see it because it doesn't seem like there's a consequence for not getting it done. Yeah. The the consistency doesn't line up because the two biggest things I saw today, it stood out to me were lack of Taylor was doing good. Why did the, why did they stop him? Yeah. He was right. For the most part, he was doing good. And then, the defense, I mean, if nothing else, Tannehill sucks. So you put it in his hands, stick, take Derrick Henry away, and he'll throw it to interceptions. I, it, those are the yeah. two pieces, I, and I'm done. <laughs> but I appreciate it. Math, man. I appreciate you taking my call. Oh, you're the best. Uh, let's go to Trevor. How you doing, Trevor? Make sure to unmute yourself. How are you, Trevor? Doing fantastic. There you yeah, yep. I'm here. How are you? Sweet. Doing pretty well. Um, wish I could say, wish I was a little bit better. I really wish we could win today. But I just going to staking with the topic of Frank Reich, I think where he falls or where he fails the most is in crucial games, which is why I think, you know, he should be on the hot seat. Last year was week 17 and week 18. Did not come prepared. Today was kind of a must-win as far as the top of the AFC South is concerned. Don't get that double tiebreaker against the Titans. Don't get swept by them. Obviously, didn't come up prepared. Haven't won a week one. Have won one playoff game. Never hosted a playoff game. And it's been like that for the last, what, five years or something? So I think the lack of preparation with Frank Reich is probably the main reason why I want him on the hot seat. For Ballard, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm still not sure about Chris Ballard. What do you what do you need to know other than what you know? I just think, do, what do you think, or at least I think the question I'm trying to ask is, do you think that Frank gets these guys prepared, or what? I I just I don't think he does it at all. I I think scheme wise the Colts are behind, always early, and then they make adjustments and they kind of get it moving. And all of a sudden in the second half, they're playing better because I think that the scheme improves as the, as the game goes on. And that's both defensively and offensively. Uh, although today I thought defensively they were ready to go and kind of had the thing dialed in. Although that's not terribly hard, like you said, against the Titans. Uh, as far as Ballard, like I, you look at some of the guys that Ballard's taken in the draft. Like Zaire Franklin is a revelation to me as a seventh rounder. He's awesome. Grover Stewart is a fourth rounder. 
just great at what he does. You look at some of the second rounders like Leonard and Taylor, those guys have shown out. Braden Smith as a second rounder. Taekwon Lewis has kind of rounded into form. I, and then there have been big misses too. You know, you, you Absolutely. had Vanagoo when they could have gotten A.J. Brown. You had Rocky Seen when they could have gotten uh, Terry, uh, Terry McLaurin. Yep, Terry McLaurin. You know, yeah, right. So, yeah, McLaurin, they took Campbell instead of McLaurin. I was yelling at the screen, take McLaurin, take McLaurin. And and they went ahead and it, it didn't listen to me because it's hard to listen to me through a TV screen. <laughs> uh, they took Paris Campbell. But you know what? I – I think what's a little bit more embarrassing about this is this is a cupcake division. Like, I know it's hard to win games in yeah. the NFL, but this is the AFC South. And we, we've never won division <laughs> under Reich. We've, we've been close. We've made the playoffs 10-6, and 11-5, but we've never won the division in the AFC South, which is very concerning to me. I, I couldn't agree more. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it, Trevor. Thank Let's you. Andrew. How you doing, Andrew? Uh, let me activate you, and there you are. Unmute yourself. How you doing this afternoon? Not doing too bad, Kent. Um, I just have a couple comments, and one is that I think this team has just become okay being mediocre, and that is my yeah. biggest call for change. Is yeah, they may win seven, eight, nine games this year, but the, that isn't winning Super Bowls, and that's not being bad enough to get a great draft pick to bring in a great quarterback or anything. It, it feels like they're in no man's land and they're never going to get better or be, you know, awful with the, this group of guys. And I, I'm ready to make a change. And that's kind of what the NFL is designed to do, right? The gravity is to pull you to eight and nine or nine and eight. And that's sort of where the Colts lie, you know, and, and this year might really be a bad year. Like I watched Chase Young uh, a couple of weeks and last night against Mississippi State. I've watched C.J. Stroud. I watched a kid from Kentucky play against Ole Miss. And I I wouldn't invest in any of those three as the upcoming guy. You know, you're not getting Peyton Manning or Andrew Luck with any of those three. And and so I don't know how you solve that quarterback deal uh, unless you get real lucky like the Packers did, you know, almost 20 years ago with Aaron Rodgers or, or the Patriots did when they took Tom Brady in the sixth round. I don't know how you get that fixed unless you're just lucky enough to go when you've got the worst record in the league to be able to go get a generational franchise guy, you know, like a Manning or a Luck. Because a lot of times you wind up with a guy like, you know, Jamarcus Russell or Sam Bradford or Jameis Winston who just aren't cut from that cloth. Yes, this is true, but some of these other guys who aren't the number one pick are also flourishing in the league too. So I'd like to see them yeah. at least make an attempt on a guy. See if Chris Ballard, if he can pick a quarterback and make him the star. If if he can't, then they need the GM that can. I agree. Thank you, Andrew. I appreciate it. And one of the interesting things uh, about that is that, um, you know what, Chris Ballard has done a wonderful job of filling – typically unimportant low leverage positions with really, really good talent and has not done the opposite. You know what I mean? Like at the quarterback position, not a very good job. Phillip Rivers was kind of catching lightning in a bottle the one year that they had him. And hats off to Chris Ballard for going out and getting Phillip Rivers. Um, But, you know, you look at left tackle, he had Costanzo, hadn't done anything since. You look at wide receiver, Pittman. I like 
I like Michael Pittman Jr., but today with the fumble. So, you know, we, we believe what we last saw. And what we last saw from Pittman was that fumble. And and so that, not the maybe not the greatest, but not bad. Other than that, I mean, that wide receiver position appears to have been a low priority, while the guard position has been a high priority. And and linebackers been a high priority. And and for anybody who watched the Bill Polian years, that era from '98 through 2011, you know you saw exactly at least how he built a champion. And it was not with guards, and it was not with linebackers. Those guys came and went constantly. Linebackers, my God, how many linebackers? Good linebackers like Marcus Washington or Mike Peterson. Or, uh, um, oh, shoot, Cato June, you know, were here and then gone. How many guards like Jake Scott were here and then gone? And, and, but they kept that core. Even letting, like, first-round draft pick running backs go because how do you pay them and everybody else? So Edger and James uh, moved on, and Joseph Adai moved on. And and you, but you had a great nucleus of people at the most important positions: Mathis, Freeney on the defensive side of the ball, and then Manning, Harrison, and Wayne. And it seems like Chris Ballard is trying to build it backwards and hope for the best. Let's go to Ryan. How you doing, Ryan? Good. How are you, Kent? I'm really good. Sorry to keep you waiting, but I I, oh, I hell, started good, talking man. and I couldn't stop. You're good, brother. <laughs> you are just fine. I only got. One thing to say. Well, actually, I got a couple things to say. I don't know if it's Frank Reich. I don't know if it's Chris Ballard. The reason why we are getting our asses kicked is because our we got the most expensive offensive line in the NFL, and they can't block nobody. They can't. They're Ryan. Matt Ryan's getting hit so many times, knocked down sacks, the force fumbles because of the line's not blocking. I don't. My whole theory is I don't think it's Frank Reich. I don't think it's Matt Ryan. I don't think it's. Uh, uh, the GM. Sorry, it's the offensive line. Ballard. Something happened with the offensive line. We, if we are paying these guys this much money and they are sucking this bad, something needs to change that way. They don't even have nobody to back out. Hell, I'd put Will Fries in. I'd, I'd go back to French fries. Fuck it, try something. <laughs> I mean, this is just ridiculous, man. That damn that, and it, I don't think it. Like I said, I don't think it's Matt Ryan's fault. Everybody's, and I don't think it's Frank Wright's fault. Everybody's all saying this is Frank Wright. Fire Frank Wright. If the players don't fucking play the game, then what? We you know you're not going to win regardless. I don't care who you have. If you're not ready, thanks so much for the call. Here, here's where I would dispute the Matt Ryan thing. Like, granted, the protection's not great, but what he's got to do is he's got to read that and he's got to get rid of the damn ball, or he's going to get hit. Like you, you've got. We saw with Philip Rivers. I don't believe that this offensive line is any less good, except at the left tackle position. Costanzo in his last year was better than what I, you know Dennis Kelly or uh, Bernard Ryman or uh, Matt Pryor. He's better than all three of those guys combined. However, what we had in Philip Rivers was a guy who read it and got rid of it quick. And when he needed to get rid of it and and kind of dump a play, that's what he did. He didn't just fling it, and the result was never a pick six. You know, Phillip Rivers did not do that, and Matt Ryan is doing that. And Matt Ryan today throwing that ball, and I know that he wasn't the sole reason that that ball was thrown. All responsibility does not rest on his shoulders. 
for that throw. But by God, some of it does. Like he made that read and he threw it to a guy standing still in a Titans uniform. And you can't do that. You know what I mean? That That's just, that's malpractice. Toby, how you doing? Good, Kent. Uh, yeah, two, I, I wanted to add on to what the gentleman just before just said. I, I kind of agree with that. You and I, we, we brought this up a few weeks back. It just, it's shocking to me. I think he's right in that, yes, there are cogs in a wheel as far as you get the quarterback, running back, wide receiver core, the O-line. They all have to work in tandem together to be successful. But if you look at last season's performance of the O-line compared to this season's wins, what we had, the one, in my opinion, the one variable I think ultimately was the O-line. It's because, you know, you got to protect. You got to protect. You got to block and make holes. And, yes, Matt Ryan needs to get it out faster, but we saw last week when he does get it out fast, what happens? So I I kind of agree with what he said. Now, the other piece is I want to throw something out at you for your your thought process, your opinions. So let's just say that I've not been – we've all had this discussion before – not a big fan of firing in the midseason. But let's just right. say you let go of Reich, fire Reich, you bring up Gus Bradley. You're not going to fire or uh, release waiver. Um, you're not going to do that with Ryan because there's so much money tied into him. That's dead money if you do. At least I believe it is. Correct me if I'm right. wrong. So you let go of Nick Knowles, make Ryan the backup. And I, I know we've said don't put Sam in, but my thought is in the current track we're going what do you got to lose put sam in let Matt ryan mentor him we still have 10 games left between matt ryan and sam ellinger starting what would you say that kind of a scenario would come out you know just theoretical bs yeah yeah i i think that that would be look uh, matt ryan is on you're on the hook to matt ryan for 35 million dollars against yeah Matt's you're not cutting year. him and and that you know that's a problem if you've got it sitting or you've got it sitting at home, right. that's problematic. Um, as far as here's the problem with letting there and there are a bunch of problems with this, but one that really stands out in firing Frank Reich midseason and elevating Gus Bradley is that if you do that and then all of a sudden like the last six games of the season the Colts go five and one. And you are locked into Gus Bradley. You can't go out and hire the coach that you want to coach that you want to have as the coach. You got to hire Gus, and maybe Gus isn't the guy that that Chris Ballard and Jim Irsay and Ed Dodds and those guys kind of you know uh, are are looking at as a long term Morocco Brown uh, as a long term solution in that position. And so that's one of the reasons I really don't like hiring an interim guy, because if the interim yeah. guy succeeds, now, you're stuck. I have one other question for you also. Yeah. So the last question I have, and you continue with what you're saying, I apologize for interrupting you there, but yeah. do you know what, what when a player plays Porter like our line is doing or whomever, can, are there rules or whatever? What Can they not, like, restructure contracts midseason, or are they locked in throughout the entire season? I mean – how does that oh, – can you briefly explain how that all works if you know? It depends on whether the contract's guaranteed and to what extent. 
you know, some guys he can punt and and he's gone and you don't have to write him another check. Some guys, you know, there's a, a certain threshold of games that the guy plays and it locks the, the contract for the duration of the season. Some guys, like Quentin, Quentin's guaranteed for $60 bucks. And and if the if the, they, this had never happened, but if the Colts wanted to punt him, they're on the hook for that sixty million. Um, Matt Ryan, they re, Matt and the Colts restructured his contract and loaded a bunch of money into that second year. And so if they waived or released, you released at this point in your career, released Matt Ryan, they would have to write him an extraordinarily large check and have a bunch of dead money against the cap next year. So, yeah. um, and, and nobody, you know, I, like Chris Ballard has some, some pride and some, uh, some belief in himself. And so he's not going to say, all right, we signed like Matt Pryor. They signed to the contract that he did. And he's like between five or 6 million, whatever. He, he's not going to come out and say, okay, you know what? I shit the bed here, Jimmy. I'm sorry. But we're going to have to write, you're going to have to put pen to paper and write this man a check to go home. It, it, no general manager enjoys having that conversation with an yeah, owner. Yeah. No matter how much money the franchise is making and how much he's putting in his pocket, if he's taking like a $3 million haircut on Matt Pryor, that's going to stick in his memory for a while. You know, yeah. I, uh, I got <laughs> yeah. to know the guy who runs the Rams for Stan Kroenke, a guy named Kevin Demoff. And and Kevin told me he's like Kroenke has never asked me once about the salary cap. What Kroenke wants to know is how much we are spending in real dollars and how much we're taking in in real dollars. He could not care less about the salary cap. You know yeah. these guys they didn't get wealthy by being indifferent to cash, and and writing big giant ass checks for guys not to play for you anymore is not going to sit well with any of them. Yeah, neither does letting you know twenty four million walk out the door with the quarterback that retired. That <laughs> that is there. absolutely the truth. Thank you, Toby. I appreciate Thanks. it. Thanks, Ken. Uh, let's go to Mac. Mac, how you doing? There you are. Hey, um, first off, I want to ask. Um, I need to know what what flavor milkshake are you getting after all these losses? I get chocolate. I get a chocolate malt. Okay. Heavy on the malt. Yeah, yeah, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> you uh, get the largest size you need uh, for today, honestly. Um, the reason I, why I'm calling in is I'm kind of perplexed because I know before the season, everyone was talking about that these wide receivers we have in our room are not talented enough or not the upper echelon. And while I can't agree with that, I think if you go one, two, three, Pittman, Pierce, Campbell and even throw in the tight ends I've seen enough personally to know that these guys can make high level plays so what I'm just stumbled on is how perplexed Matt Ryan looks in the pocket sometimes and and how he just decides to dump it down to Jonathan Taylor 10 times a game or something like that I I mean do, do you know any reason why these receivers aren't getting open but when they get the ball they show flashes that they can create separation you know what i i think that it's it's that matt ryan doesn't anticipate having enough time to make that read and and always see the guy who who does flash open there have been games this season i, I don't know about this one because i haven't looked at the tape 
but there have been games where guys have been open and Ryan missed them and, and dumped down. And I think that the clock in his head is ticking so quickly that he's not making that progression, that read of the progression uh, kind of on time in a way to see guys come open. And, and I think that's the thing. And, and here's what, at least here's what, what I said about the receiver room, is that it didn't have the necessary depth. We had no idea what Alec Pierce was going to be, and Pierce has really been pretty good. We thought, because based on past experiences, that Paris Campbell was going to be a guy who was going to get hurt because he always did. He hasn't this year, which has been wonderful. So you've got the top three guys in Pittman, Pierce, and Campbell who are really pretty good. They're okay. You can roll with that. But beyond that, you, you have a steep drop-off in ability. You know, whether it's Des Patman, you know who is on the active roster today, who is elevated? Ethan Fernia. Ethan Fernia is a guy out of UCLA who is a walk-on at UCLA, and I love Ethan Fernia. He's a really good guy, and his family's terrific. But this is a guy that, that the Colts picked up as roster fodder that now they believe might be the answer to a question in a game. You know, that is how thin this wide receiver core is, whether it's Patman, whether it's Strawn. And I think we saw it with, uh, oh, who, who they waved. I can't remember the name of the guy. They, they waved the guy and thought that they were probably going to be able to re-sign him to the practice squad. It was. It was Patman. They waved Patman. Everybody passed. Nobody claimed him. And so they signed him to the practice squad. You know, that is the level of respect the rest of the league has in the depth of the Indianapolis Colts. Even when the guy's available, they're not picking him up. And that's a problem. You know, and, and I still think it's a problem. I think that, like I said, Pittman, Pearson, Campbell are fine. But, wow, you get beyond that, and there's that big drop-off, and that drop-off is problematic. Uh, let's go to Rich. How you doing, Rich? Hey, again, it's me again. Yeah. Uh, just uh, going back to the conversation about Matt Ryan and people blaming Matt, uh, I do understand that. Uh, but looking back at our options uh, for quarterbacks every year, we've had to change it. But drafting-wise, uh, I want to give Ballard the benefit of the doubt here because since 2019 when we would realistically be able to draft anybody – who have we had that was any sort of realistic option? I mean, 2019, Minshew was probably the best quarterback. 2020, we had Herbert, Hertz, and then Lance. 21, uh, we have Mac Jones, Justin Fields. Like These are not people that I, I would have a lot of confidence Ballard drafting. But at the same time, um, you know, we did try to go for Matt Stafford, way too expensive. Um, but I feel like Jimmy Garoppolo would have been a pretty – you know, good option, especially considering how Matt seems to be struggling with the basic stuff. And that's what Jimmy thrives at. Um, I was also curious what you thought about that as well as um, Baker Mayfield. I don't think would be a good choice, but uh, I don't think we've seen him to at all consider Matt Ryan. But like he's leading in interceptions in the league, all those fumbles. And yeah, again, pressure's not been great. But um, what do you think about like, uh, other free agency options compared to what we ended up going with uh, with Matt? You know, that's a, a great question. And Stafford was obviously the guy that you would want o over all others. Uh, Draft-wise, the one pick that the Colts had, and this is post-2019 because Luck retired 
in August of 19. So you weren't going to, you weren't going to use that sixth overall pick that the Colts used on Quentin Nelson on a guy like, uh, you know, Josh Allen, who is the next pick. You're just not going to do it. Um, in 2021, when the Colts had the 21st overall pick and took Quiddy Pay, uh, the guys, the real guys were already off the board. Justin Fields was taken 11th by the Bears. I wouldn't have wanted him and didn't want him. Trey Same. Lance was taken by the 49ers, third overall. Zach Wilson, second. And Trevor Lawrence, first. So in that draft, I, I tell you the truth, I wouldn't have been real enthusiastic about any of them. And then after that, You've got to drop down to Kyle Trask out of Florida, who was taken by the Bucks, 64th overall, and then Kellen Mond and Davis Mills taken 66 and 67. So, you know, at least in the one draft where the Colts had that that pick that they could take uh, or could invest in a, a quarterback, it didn't work. And there there are reasons. You know, I talked before about uh, uh, about the Rams, and, and how they kind of built their draft and, and how they went after free agents. And one of the things that Kevin Demoff told me was that it, it's kind of like what we were talking about before. It's, it's, sure, fire somebody, wave somebody, release somebody. But you've got to bring in somebody who's an upgrade. Like if you've got Frank Reich and you're not certain that the person you're going to replace him with is going to be better suited for that position, you can't fire Frank Reich. Well, with a free agent... You've got to learn why another team lets somebody go. You know, you, you can't just like, oh, you know what? This guy, like Odell Beckham Jr., all right? Mm. He's still on the street with, because he's got the torn ACL. But you can't, you, you can't go out and sign Odell Beckham Jr. without knowing specifically why the Rams didn't re-sign him in the offseason. I think they're going to re-sign him coming up in a couple in a week or two. But you've got to know why those guys are on the street. And usually there's a pretty damn good reason. You know, you, you look at the uh, the wingnut wide receiver. I've already forgotten his name, the guy with the frozen feet, you know, who, who went to the Raiders after he was with the Steelers. And and that guy showed himself again and again to, to be behaviorally incapable of doing what you need to do at the receiver position or as a member of a collective at all. And and so despite the fact that the guy is uber talented and can go catch a football and, and is really good at it, you, you don't want to invest money in that clod because he can't play as a member of a team and doesn't understand what it is to be a part of a team. And you saw that this week with the Jets. And, and the guy, they told to sit at home. You know what? You don't do that with a guy who's going to help you win football games. No question he's talented. But there are the quarterbacks who are on the street. Why were the Eagles willing to part with Carson Wentz? You mm. know what I mean? They're willing to trade that guy for a uh, a conditional second, which was up to a first and a third. Why? Well, there's there were pretty good reasons. Why was Mitch Trubisky? Uh, why'd they turn his be- their back on him in Chicago? Well, the Bills. They figured that out. The Steelers have fig- figured that out too. You know, the other another man's garbage is occasionally somebody's treasure. Right, but that's not the way it works all the time, for sure. Thank you so much for the call. I appreciate it. Uh, let's go to uh, let's go to Bruce. How you doing, Bruce? Make sure and unmute yourself. Come here. Can you hear me? Yeah. 
Okay, uh, so <clears throat> I feel like coaching has really been hurting us. So something I've noticed, a trend, and it never seems to work, is every time we get inside the 30, I see uh, they're bringing in number 17 off the bench into the game, yeah. taking out, I don't know, Pierce or Campbell or one of those guys, and it never seems to work every time I see him come in. And then, like today, we get in third and threes, Jonathan Taylor's on the sideline, or there ain't even a, ba- uh, a running back in the backfield, and that play was a disaster. Yeah, I don't understand, and and this was a, a problem last year that we talked about a little bit. The the packages for Naheem Hines late in games when you've got Jonathan Taylor, I, I just don't, like that, that defies logic to me, and, and the explanations have also defined logic. And, and you look at a guy like Mike Strawn, who's the number 17 you're talking about over the last five weeks. He's got one catch on six targets for 23 yards. And, and he was a guy in the preseason where everybody's like, oh, this guy's got to start. Mike Strawn's, you know, he, he's the real deal. The, he's got all the, all the measurables. He's 6'5", 224. He, he's wonderful. Well, evidently not. Because in he's really twenty-two overall, he's got three catches. He's really big, but he's not creating any separation. I think it was last game they went back-to-back plays to him in the back of the end zone, and yeah, they were all right. Open they did completions. Yeah, and I'm Absolutely. like, why is he in the game over Woods or? Sorry to to cut you off. I thought we had finished. Anyway, Ab Cole, unmute yourself. What's going on? Eb Cool is not unmuting himself, so we will go to Toby. How you doing, Toby? Let's uh, uh, get to – there's Toby. How you doing this afternoon? Good. Thank you for taking the call again. Um, My pleasure. I, so, you know, people have been bringing up in Basil Faulty 241 mentions in the comments about Strouser, and I've heard others call for Strouser. I just now was yeah. looking him up, and I see that – Actually, prior to this year, it seemed like he was doing a pretty good job with the O-line. I'm kind of curious. There's a guy named Brian Balty, Bratton, Brian Bratton, who's the offensive quality control. Yeah. I, <laughs> just that title suggests you're fired. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I, you know what? People get down on Strasser, and and I don't know – like, you know, you hire a guy like that, and he came from UW, and, and he was a kind of Howard Mudd's protege, and Howard came with him and, and was sort of a, a guy who, who was sort of a guide for him, that mentor. And then Howard left, and all of a sudden, kind of the, the O-line sort of took a step back. And yeah. so I, I don't know... Like the inner workings of a coaching staff, there are a lot of coaches, like you mentioned, with the quality control guy, assistant O-line coach, you know, wide receiver coach, assistant wide re- They got a lot of guys yeah. in a lot of rooms. And I'm not sure whether Strasser is – there was uh, uh, Dave Guglielmo, Guglielmo a couple of years ago who swore a lot, and I think that that bothered Frank Reich. He's kind of a wingnut, but the, the linemen loved him. I don't know whether the problem is Strasser or, or a lack of talent or just a hole at left tackle that, that seems to make everybody else look worse. Um, I, don't know, I don't know exactly what it is, but it, it, 
it in combination with a quarterback like Matt Ryan is a fatal flaw. So here's the last thing I'll ask you now. And I, I am seriously done after this, but yeah. uh, so we have seen in the past head coaches bench quarterbacks in order to help them kind of refocus and say, Hey, get your head out of your ass. I mean, one or two games putting him on the bench and saying, hey, Foles, you're up. You know, I, I know it's not Ryan Soley's – I know it's not Soley Ryan's fault, but maybe it sends a message to the rest of the team. I don't know. I, I You look for all these answers, and there ain't one right now, you know? <laughs> yeah, if you've got a – with a uh, an almost 15-year veteran, if, if you've got to pull him to, you know, help him get his head out of his ass, you, you've got a real problem. And, and so I don't think they're ever going to do that. And, and Ryan, you know what? I mean, like, we, I crap on Ryan, too. But the Colts were in that game somehow in the fourth quarter. That was the one-possession game. Despite the pick six, despite the other pick, the Colts had no business being in that game. They were being out tough. They were being out-executed. And yeah. somehow, someway, if... If the Colts get a stop on a play where they should have gotten a stop, that damn tight end uh, for the uh, um, golly Hooper or whoever, you know, well, didn't he used to be Ryan's tight end? Like if yeah, he was. If he if the ball doesn't bounce off his helmet right, the Colts get the ball back. And I bet you they win that game. And I don't know exactly how they would have done it. All right, Eb Cool's back. Uh, Abkul, hit the un- unmute, and uh, let's go. How you doing this afternoon? There you are. Oh, hello, Kent. Good afternoon. Now, Good listen, afternoon. Friends. Listen, me as a Colts fan, I came into this game thinking right after that awesome Jaguars victory that we just had. Yeah. At 34 to 27, our offense had an amazing game. I, would, I was thinking coming in here that our offense would show the same results with Taylor and Hines coming back. I, I think we should have had excellent results on offense today, and we should have won this game. Our defense came into play, lowered the tight ends to only four field goals, no touchdowns. Our defense had an amazing day, and I'm not yeah. blaming the defense. I'm blaming the offense just did horrible today. I mean, Matt Ryan with the pick six that he threw, honestly, I, I was pretty – I was – I knew that drive was going too well, Kent. That drive was going too well. I was like, something bad's going to happen. Ryan's going to fumble it. Something is – I had a feeling something bad was going to happen, and he threw a pick six. I want to hear your thoughts. What do you think of that drive? Spoken like a true fan. I, You know, I couldn't agree more. And, and you look at what the defense did, and you're exactly right, and I had mentioned it throughout the whole show. 19 points, four field goals, one touchdown, and that, uh, that touchdown came on a pick six. They kept Derrick Henry and the, uh, the Titans offense out of the end zone all day long, and still they lose this game, which is absolutely crazy. Uh, I completely agree with you. And, yeah, that, that drive was going too well. Something, something had to happen, and Matt Ryan did. And one question that I have for everybody listening, and we're going to talk to Fulton and then we're going to wrap it up, is this. If Matt Ryan were named Carson Wentz, how would you yeah. feel about Matt Ryan right now? How you doing, Fulton? Make sure and unmute yourself. Um, there's one uh, other thing. Um, we might get an, another um, another coach. 
like get a new coach and file Frank White? I, I don't think it's going to happen during the season, but at the end of the season, if things continue to operate like this and Jim Irsay is true to his word and Chris Ballard true to his word, saying all chips are in, you're not putting your chips behind Frank Reich if the Colts go eight and nine or nine and eight, well, nine, seven and one or, or eight, eight and one. Uh, you're not going to say our chips are all in with right. Frank Reich as a coach, I wouldn't think. You're welcome. And go get your I milkshake. Fulton. Thanks for the call and thanks to everybody for joining us today. Uh, great show, fun show, despite the fact that the, uh, the Colts couldn't find their way to, to win this game, despite the fact, like we said, they held the Titans without a touchdown offensively, and still they get beat. They give up four field goals and uh, the pick six. The only offense that the Titans generated was uh, – actually, it was, uh, you know, it was a Matt Ryan touchdown pass in the other direction. So tomorrow morning, Breakfast with Kent on the YouTube channel, 7 o'clock. We're back to going early, 7 o'clock, and then Inside Indiana Sports Now at 4 o'clock. We'll also have great conversations uh, next week with Chase McLaughlin and uh, with Luke Rhodes, the long snapper. Uh, looking forward to those. And uh, have a good rest of the day. Enjoy a milkshake, as I'm going to in just a few moments. And uh, have a great day. Thank you very much for joining us on, uh, on the call-in show. We'll be back next week. Another post-game call-in. It'll be a little bit later because that Washington game starts late. So it'll be about 7.30 next Sunday, hopefully after a Colts victory.